Welcome back to Night Out Minute. I am your host, Darren, and once again, I am joined by my guest, Philip. Hello, Darren. <laughs> I'm not going to say yourself. Uh, it's Philip Modest. get it wrong. As in, uh, as in, modest. There we maybe go. Ransom is not as attractive as everybody thought he was. <laughs> yeah. And he's back with me to cover Minute 123, which goes from two hours and uh, two minutes to two hours, two minutes, 59. Um... And we start this minute, uh, We've uh, uh, the previous minute actually finished with a cut at the end. So we're now outside and Linda has come outside. The rest of the family are there. There's police cars, there's an ambulance. Ransom is gradually being, it's going to take like three minutes before Ransom gets put into the uh, police car. They're really taking the time, kind of moving him very slowly towards yeah. the car um, for these next couple of minutes. But we basically see the whole family uh obviously richard is yelling we can't actually hear what richard is saying until like the very end of this minute uh where we suddenly we hear him say the word linda and that's where the minute finishes um so uh yeah so you know uh we've we've also got a bit of a interaction between is it martyr and it's it's that's tomorrow yeah this is all this is an this is another like not quite wes anderson moment you know yeah, this is a. Uh, there is there is kind of like some uh, the score kind of changes to this kind of like jazz music, doesn't it? Which I was like, yes. if this if this was what like there is something you could probably pick off a Wes Anderson score and put it underneath this, and it would seem a lot more yeah. friendly and happy. Which um, which maudlin which maudlin kink song do we want to put underneath <laughs> this track? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, probably that one from the end of um, uh, Royal Tenenbaums, whatever that is that plays at the funeral. Oh, yeah, uh, it's a Van Morrison song. Oh, is that Van Morrison? Yeah, anyway. Oh, we don't like Van Yeah, it is. At the funeral? Yeah, no. yeah. Uh, that's probably... No, we want, we want something more like... There's So, yeah, now we're on Kinks Minute, but there's <laughs> there's something from like their early period, which is literally about... Uh, oh, shoot, it's from um, the album that has Fancy on it. But there's a bunch of songs on there about uh, either a rich guy losing his house, okay, or um, or you know something of that like. So we have lots of we have lots of material from the the Davies and Davies company. Yeah. So we just need to put one of those under this. I'm sure someone could do that on the internet and just make it a, a, a yeah. More, get on it, internet. A more a more kind of sad minute. Um, but yeah. yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of kind of business going on. I mean, we already ranked the family yesterday about how terrible they were, so we're not going to do it again. But we get to yeah. see them all here. Um, you know, Richard is, as we said, obviously it's his son that's been arrested, so he's doing some yelling. It's mostly we're mostly watching kind of from Linda's point of view for most of this, um, and so mm -hmm. we're not hearing any kind of real dialogue. Um, it's revealed that in the in this in the script it says Joni is staring into space ruined, uh, which I think is you know some good some good kind of staring work from uh, from from Joni. There, she, literally, literally as the she's, camera, kind she's of, one of the best. Yeah, camera kind of goes past and and uh, she just kind of I mean it just recalls hereditary, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, it's like it yeah. just it, it, yeah. you're like you're like oh she seems kind of devastated about something. 
Uh, apparently, Meg is talking to Lieutenant Elliot because she's just learned out about Fran, uh, which obviously they kept from yes. the family, didn't they, that, that Fran was dead. Um, you know, and Meg was close to Fran, or as close as she can be, considering that, you know, Fran was considered the help. Um, and, you know, Linda is there. She is about to light the cigarette. Um, but instead, she takes the piece of paper that's, um, you know, uh, you know, her father had left in his study, and she kind of, you know, takes the lighter and, and heats it underneath, and obviously reveals uh, the hidden writing. Um, and there is a, you know, obviously the secret communication between the two of them. And her face kind of drops just as we then hear the word Linda kind of coming through, um, and. You know that I mean, uh, there's not a huge amount to say about this. I would say I like the way. Oh, oh, I'm sure we'll find. Yeah, something. I mean, I like the way it's shot in that we don't like. Obviously, we know what's happened. We don't need it reiterated like one more time. You know, we don't need right. people to be told. You know what happened again or who murdered what or you know all of that stuff has been mm-hmm. kind of gone over so often in this film now that we d- we don't need it restating. So I like that we just end with kind of a montage here of just you know the family outside of the house. Um, yeah, kind of just devastated by what's going on, and obviously, I mean, you know, Richard is the only one that's really animated amongst them all. <laughs> Everybody else is kind of I, broken by this. Point. I, there's so I think there is a lot to unpack there, um, but I want to go back. <laughs> I keep mentioning Wes Anderson. Um, I think when I first saw this movie coming out, and even when I first watched it, I got that Anderson vibe, and I was afraid. I, I really like Wes Anderson's movies, but I was afraid that this movie would be like a little cutesy arch in that way. Yeah. But then I realized very quickly on that, oh yes, it is. And it's wonderful. You know, like it, it, there's, there's these actors who are not, like you said, we said yesterday, Jamie Lee Curtis is not in the movie that much, but really nobody, none of them are. And to stretch the uh, NBA dream team metaphor a little (laughs) farther than I, farther than I need to, so real quick for everybody uh with that in the 90s they got together the best players in the nba to play uh for the american team in the olympics and there was a question as to how well this would work and the reason you'd think like oh what's the big deal you just have the greatest players and they'll be great but there is an angle there where ego is definitely going to play in and so you need you need coaching and you need directing to be able to say like Hey, Michael, you have to pass the ball. We have to let David Robinson and these other Hall of Famers get the ball. And then you play as a team. And I think in this movie, that is something that happened here, which is like, yes, any one of these actors could have carried the movie. You know, they've obviously done it in other roles. But what's great is to see... Uh, um, somebody like Jamie Lee Curtis or Tony Collette, and and the guy's name is escaping me. Uh, the other son is it Michael Parks? What's his name? Shoot, I'm blanking. Um, but uh, it's great to see them in a position where they can just they don't have the full responsibility on their shoulders. Michael Shannon. There you uh, go. I was Shannon. literally just about um, to say it's Michael Shannon. <laughs> thank you. I was about to but sneeze great, and but I it's didn't great sneeze, to... so that's why I didn't interrupt you then. <laughs> well, perfect. So. But, I mean, like, Michael Shannon's a perfect example where yeah. that guy has enough either charisma, character, weirdness, whatever, to fill 90 minutes. But if you can package it and and convince him to package it for 10 minutes 
it is a memorable 10 minutes. Yeah. And I, I think that's that's a testament to him and to great directing and just being able to, like, wrangle everybody. So, it, like, when I see this, like, slow motion thing, it's awesome how everybody... This is, like, the Wes Anderson thing again. It's almost pointing out how cartoonish everybody is because they're literally doing the things that we've kind of... The, the one thing we know them all to do. Yeah. But it's satisfying because they're doing it. I mean, Troll Boy is on his phone and... Uh, Michael Shannon is kind of pouting, sad sacking over here. And, you know, Tony Collette is like spacing out. And they're all, they're also all mostly looking away from Ransom when he walks by. Yeah. You know, they are literally distancing themselves. And I'm like, that's not an accident. That is <laughs> definitely a choice. Yeah. Uh, so in this metaphor, then Ryan Johnson is what? Phil, Phil Jackson? Is that what we're, that's what we're saying? Yes. Yeah. No, uh, Ryan Jansen, Ryan Johnson would be Chuck Daly. Oh, he was the coach who, of the Olympic they team. They didn't even yeah. see. Uh, that's, uh, that's how much I know about, about basketball. I literally just know Phil Jackson. That's it. That's it. That's everybody I know. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> real quick. There was a, there's a, a story about, so I was young when that happened and I, uh, I remember thinking like they could just hold a contest for whoever could coach this team yeah. and they'd be fine. But apparently it wasn't the case. And there's a great moment where Chuck Daly brought in, he, you know, like they were playing all these Olympic superstars or these NBA superstars are playing and they're, you know, they're kind of getting lethargic. Chuck Daly brought in, uh, an all-star team of college kids, college players. Yeah. Uh, who were used to playing together as a team and they beat the NBA team. <laughs> and the idea, th- but the idea there was he, Chuck Daly just showed his stars. You can't phone this in guys. Yeah. Cause a good team can come in and beat you. And sure enough, you know, somebody like Jordan or magic Johnson are like, Oh hell. Yeah. He's right. What are we going to do about this guys? And then they all become ultra competitive to the point of like, Oh, we have to be a team. Yeah. And I, I think in that way, our, Films Chuck Daly did something to that to be like, okay, Jamie Lee, you know, you're not going to be the superstar of this, but you're going to get your moments. I know you're going to hit it out of the park. You know, okay, Michael Shannon, you're not the star of this, but when you get your moments, I know you're going to nail it, you know, and just it's it's there. I, I feel like that's one of the fun parts. I mean, obviously, I movie. would argue that out of all of that, he actually managed to put the film onto Anna Diarmas. <laughs> like, she is oh, kind yes. of... Absolutely. Out of nowhere, she's like the main character because you you know you see in the trailer. Obviously, you you know you hear. In fact, I think in the in the trailer you only get like one line from Anna Diarmas, but you get a lot more from Daniel Craig. So you're coming in thinking Daniel Craig and Christopher Plummer. That's where the the uh-huh. film is going to be, and then obviously it all kind of you know Daniel Craig is there at the start, but it's mostly about you know Anna Diarmas is kind of the first character that we see like approach the house after Fran has found the body. We don't we don't yeah. see Daniel Craig. We, we Daniel Craig's just there. We don't see him arrive. Um, so you know, as in terms of a point of view character, obviously it's Anna Diarmas that kind of who isn't in this particular yeah, minute. I, <laughs> but, but you know, no, uh, it's, uh, she's the. Kind it's of interesting one who you say that because I was. It's interesting you say that because I I was kind of having a mental debate of who the main character is, and I think it is Marta. Yeah. I, you know, she's the one because oftentimes with detective stories, especially along this line. You know, not much changes with Sherlock Holmes in the Sherlock Holmes stories. No. He's there to solve the problem. Yeah. So if you expand upon that, you know, Marta is the one who has actually kind of changed. I mean, she she's not like, you know, it's not some tremendous character arc, but she's the one we really saw go through the ringer. So 
she, yeah, I think she and she drove a lot of the story too. Blanc's there to put the pieces together, but Marta's the one who, you know, is like throwing herself into danger and going in the worst car chase ever, and you yeah. know, saving, trying to save <laughs> Fran, and you know, all that stuff. Well, in the next in the next minute, we'll kind of find out exactly what Blanc kind of thought once he approached this case. Oh yes, yes. Um, but we're kind of almost already at the the, the question, which is um, with regards to sequels. Obviously, they have announced that they're paying hundreds and hundreds of millions. Um, for Knives Out 2 and Knives Out 3. Um, but obviously Knives yep. Out 2, as we record, started filming a few days ago. Um, and so uh, we know that it's set um, in Greece. That is, that's the one thing that's been revealed. And we also know that none of the thrombies are going to be returning because Jamie Lee Curtis you know, revealed that in, a, in an Instagram Good. post. And it feels weird to kind of... All these kind of odd. We only know that it starts shooting because of Twitter, and I don't know. This we're in a strange, we're in a strange well, age. Um. That was the th- yes, we are <laughs> to say the least. Yes. Well, that was a good. That was a good thing because I remember coming out of this and thinking, you know, I would like more of that. But what I really want is I don't want more of the thrombies. It was like that story's no. over. I don't. Yeah. I don't. And no offense to them, and no offense to Marta. I mean. She should not return. The only returning character should really be Benoit Blanc. Yes. That's how, and I'm too much of a traditionalist here, but I mean, that's how this works is, you know, Poirot, Poirot doesn't carry over the characters from Murder on the Orient Express to other things. It was like, he goes and meets other despicable people. Yeah. He goes and solves other crimes. Like, that's the fun. Don't. Yeah, so I'm glad to know that they're. But just in terms of like a whole other the question of, of who the main character is, obviously, then that means, um, you know, for this film, I, I feel everyone agrees it's Anna Diarmas and her performance that is uh-huh. kind of central to the film. So then it becomes: Does the next film find you know a new Anna Diarmas, or does it choose to focus on Benoit Blanc? And you know, or is he? Does he? I mean, I, I, I mean, I would guess. Um, the 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 film that's, that's you know the Knives Out two, which obviously is not going to be the title, I don't think. Um, yeah. I think you know he's going to end up returning, um, and I think in this case it feels like he's maybe on holiday somewhere, and he ends up in a mystery. You know, it's not that's you know perfect. Yeah, and I and but at the same time, it's then uh, you know if that's going to happen, you don't want it to be too much. I mean, I certainly don't. I mean, obviously, you know, Daniel Craig's obviously a great actor. And he clearly had ideas about exactly how to play Benoit Blanc. Um, yeah. So it feels like, you know, we, the sequel should really try to give us a little bit more about what Benoit Blanc is about. Obviously, you know, we had everybody talking about, you know, the article that was in Newsweek or whatever in the first film. So, uh, but also we don't want it to be too much, uh, you know, a, a centralized on him. You know, it's it feels like yeah. we've got to find somebody else who maybe brings him in. And then, you know, he's with them trying to solve the mystery and, you know, maybe right. they bounce ideas off him or whatever. I, I, I don't know how it's going to work, but I, I trust, I trust so it, Ryan Johnson. Uh, but, you know, my thought is that, that maybe he still needs to be more of a kind of peripheral character in his own story, which seems I, weird to say. I agree. I agree. And I hope so. Um, I, the more people talk to me, the means the more they'll get to hear me ramble on about how I think continuity is overrated. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in as much, in as much as movie to movie, like, I don't think every movie series needs to be 
oh, well, this this is part two, and then this is part three, and it's all like one big giant story. It's like, those are fine, yeah. but not everything has to do that. Some things can follow uh, to really to this point here is like more of a classic James Bond thing, which is James Bond is on another adventure with colorful villains and characters. It's like, yeah. that's enough. You don't actually have to do too much. And so I'm, I haven't read up too much on the sequel, but I'm confident given the facts that, you know, if he's setting it in Greece already, he's saying, it was like, it's not going to be about that house. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, it can't be that. Although, so this is, now I'm going to like circle back. I am curious about how they'll do the sequel because so much, I feel like, of the underlying success of Knives Out itself is that it's almost a parody of murder mysteries. I mean, it's about a murdered writer of murder mysteries in a house that looks like it's a character from one of his murder mysteries. Yeah. So it'll be interesting and I'll be curious to see if that can happen again. That sort of like background-ness that I think makes this film, the one we're talking about right now, very rich. I mean, you know, part of it's wonderful is that it is contained to itself. I would go one step further, Philip, and I would say not only is this a murder mystery about a murder mystery writer getting murdered in a murder mystery house. <laughs> There's the, at the end, the murderer tries to murder somebody else unsuccessfully with a prop that is from a murder mystery. And yeah. <laughs> additionally to that, there's not actually a murder. It is in fact a suicide and not a murder. So it's not even a murder in a murder mystery. Um, so it basically deconstructs every single part of it <laughs> to the point where yeah. it's not it's not even really a murder mystery. Um, but then obviously the, the... Fran is murdered and that's that's what Ransom is arrested for. It's not it's not it's not for the murder that is at the center of the mystery. It's actually for just a norm, basically just a brutal murder. That's all. It's, that's that's what he gets arrested for. So, um, you know, he... we're we're. We're obviously, I'm, you know, the pot calling the kettle black talking about overthinking things, but, (laughs) but, uh, but I think something that works here, I get the feeling I've never interacted with Ryan Johnson, but I get the feeling that he is a smart guy and a guy who also could be accused of overthinking things. Yeah. So whatever people's opinions are on, uh, the last Jedi, I think it is sort of a legitimate criticism that I throw at it, which is like it's a little clever by half, like over clever by half. Like there's a couple parts in there that are so knowing of what he's dealing with that it's almost off-putting. Yeah. Um, just a little. Um, I think that sometimes that when people have criticized that, I, I feel like that's the underlying thing they're dealing with, which is like, are you talking about me? Are you talking about Star Wars fan? You know, like it's just, anyway, that's for, <laughs> that's, that's well-trod territory. Well, I mean, we're, to- we're we're going to talk about Ryan's films tomorrow, so we can get into that more tomorrow. Okay, great, great. Then but- here, be, be, stay tuned for that. <laughs> but but to the point, to my point with this is like the two movies that, of his that I've really enjoyed the most are Knives Out and Brick, and I think in both those cases, those are instances where that, for lack of a better term, overthinking has really played well. Like it yeah. created a world and almost a satire of itself as it was happening, but also the greater genre it's dealing with. And, you know, there's, there's more to chew on 
in there in those things. And maybe it's also because it's not as enormous as the biggest movie franchise of all time. Yeah. Um, that he's free to do it. This is all to say that th- I am hoping that in future sequels, he can find ways to like to dig in and to criticize and to think and to theorize all that stuff without like, you know, having the snake eat its own tail by the end. Like, I I don't know how I would feel if it's, if the next movie literally talks about sequels and stuff. Well, I was going to say, let's, let's not have it. Let's not have it turn into scream Two. Let's put it like that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In a way. So the the thing that keeps rummaging around in my head is, um, is the Indiana Jones series. Um, So knives out is to Raiders lost Ark, where it's kind of like, taking the best bits and almost like self parody of a certain thing and presenting it all. And now you've got this great movie, but you have this central character who's going through it. Central ish character. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, Ms. Darmus, um, central ish character who, uh, seems to have had adventures before this and adventures after. Yeah. Right. That's, that's part of the thing that I really enjoy is that they recognize Benoit Blanc as going through all this stuff. Right. Then, um, when they followed up with Temple of Doom, and, and I feel like some mileage varies on that, I'm so-so on Temple of Doom, because I feel like they kind of wink at the camera a little too much in that one. So I'm hoping this sequel to Knives Out, possibly Knives In, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> shout out to Bob's Burgers, that's their joke. Um, I hope they can have the right amount of winking without bogging it down in those things i i I guess what i'm trying to really say is i hope it's a standalone movie i hope you can take it and just watch it and then if people like the previous one great if you if that's the only one you see and you love it also great it shouldn't i feel like you have this character of benoit blanc that could really stand in his own series and so therefore don't bog him down with the baggage of the few of the past yeah. or setting up you know, like, oh, this is going to pay off in two movies. And I'm like, I, I don't I'm not watching two movies. I'm watching this one. Yeah. That's that's so, something I would say that I miss a little bit from um, that. I wish some of the Marvel films had just been, oh, it's just Iron Man has another adventure. Yeah, Instead and, of and while we're griping, entangling themselves in, you know, like there's a, you know, yeah. particularly with the kind of the phase three MCU stuff, there's a lot of setup of like. Oh well, you know now next time we'll be able to do it. But then there's no next yeah. time because then Endgame hit and the whole thing completely. So it's like, right? You know, you're setting up Doctor Strange to be like, well, you know, in his next adventure he's going to do this, but his next adventure is Endgame, and then <laughs> and then and then yeah. you know he's ne- he's going to be in another film, but it's not going to be just like a simple Doctor Strange in another film. It's going to be part of a bigger universe, um, right? You know, whereas I, you know, I, I, but that's. I still love all those films, you know. So. Yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> um, but you have to love them as a whole. It's different. Yeah. The, and the thing yeah. that I feel like is the real example of, like, relying way too much on this is this uh, Wizarding World's um, Fantastic Beast series. It's like they miscalculated those movies to say, like, we want more giant story you can barely hold together. When the most... I, I, I will argue this forever. The easiest... And best way to do it would have been the main character, Newt Scamander, has to go to different locations to capture different magical creatures. That's it. Not 
oh, and it ties to Dumbledore, and oh, this is where Voldemort gets this, and oh, this, and oh, that. And like, no, you have enough to play with if you just explore that. But instead, they're like, well, we want to tell a five-movie arc where no movie is totally satisfying. And you're like, that sucks. <laughs> That's really frustrating. I mean, I, so, I hope if they go forward with more Kenneth Branagh um, Poirot films that they do try and yeah. keep the, the spirit of you know, the older Agatha Christie stuff, which is just, you know, it is just completely standalone films. Each adventure is just him walking into, you know, another murder. I get the feeling, you know, I get the feeling they will. Yeah. And and self and my own, uh, like plug aside, I'm my, the first book of my, uh, psychic barber murder, psychic barber mysteries series is coming out in September, but I have the other, the next three sequels either, mostly written, partly written, or, you know, in some sort of form, I very consciously tried not to have it be like, oh, well, you read book one and it's not totally satisfying until you get to book three and four. And like that, I, I'm really done with it. I, <laughs> I, I, I personally, I personally tried to do just what you said with like what we hope uh, the Agatha Christie adaptations will do and maybe what Knives Out 2 does, which is, People can pick this up and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. And if they want to explore the other things, you know what? That's great. You can pick those up and you can enjoy them. And you can pick that one up and you can enjoy it. And then we can like build. It's a it's an interesting way to build like a larger story just through action rather than saying, well, this part relates to this and that part relates to that. And that you have to line it all up perfectly. Yeah. And like then you think. I'm really on a high horse here, but then it's like <laughs> you're taking, I feel like in those cases, producers, directors, writers are taking way more control over the, the experience than they may have. Because when knives out two comes out, there's a very good chance that people will see it who have not seen the f- first one. Yeah. And don't you want that? Like just, I, I'm all for standalone things, even in sequels. It was like, that's great. You can watch one of the James Bond movies and be totally satisfied and then be delighted to find out there's a million others. Yeah. You know, uh, it's yeah. So that's that's my high horse. Well, I feel that we have segued into plugs. So if you want to plug your <laughs> yeah. Twitter handle as well, Philip, so that people oh, yes. know where to get a hold of you. Yes, uh, I am on Twitter. I am at Philip Mottas. That's P-H-I-L-L-I-P. M as in mountain, O-T-T-A-Z. And you can hear me ramble on about uh, the failings of Fantastic Beasts <laughs> and uh, plugs for my book, The Murderous Haircut of the Mayor of Bel-Air, and anything else you want to talk about. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at Nice Out Minute. Uh, and obviously, you know, you can also, if you wish, uh, rate and review at the podcatcher of your choice. There was some discussion about whether or not we should use the word podcatcher because some people who were hosting the show did not like that word. Uh, but I, I oh. insisted that they say it. So they have. Um, <laughs> <All> <laughs> so uh, I think that's all we have for this. So I'm going to thank you for being my guest today. Thank you. And we will return tomorrow. <laughs>